Hey, all right. This is the Country Podcast. My name is Justin Weller. Today is August 22nd, 2020. With me today is my guest, Lucas Nicoletis. Lucas and I grew up together in the suburbs of D.C. and Maryland. And now lives with his beautiful wife and new baby out there in Arizona. And uh, we're going to have a conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Lucas, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. This is uh, a little exciting. I was, it I is. Happy, happy, to have you, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, man. I, You know, we were talking just before we started recording about always wanting to do a podcast, and it sounds like maybe you feel the same way. <laughs> well, it's probably because nobody hears me, so I'm gonna try to another another medium to get my voice out. But uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's it just it's it's fun. It's I love dialogue, and and this is kind of what your show sounds like. It's all about. So uh, to me, it's it's a this was a perfect perfect marriage. Yeah, we're just out in the country talking with regular people, seeing what they think about what the heck's going on around here. So, um, you know, I uh, I don't know if you want to. Tell the folks a little bit about yourself or just, um, you know, where you live, what you're doing, what's cool, all that sure. sort of thing. Yeah, sure. So obviously, for those that don't know, Justin and I kind of grew up together um, in the uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. So um, grew up obviously there uh, with you. And um, from there, I, you know, got my engineering degree, went down to Virginia Beach, uh, Love that town, you know. It, you know, and you and you, when you're young, what's the first thing you do is you think about great weather and girls. And so there's Virginia Beach for you, right? So you know, went to college down there, got my degree, and then um, went up to Boston for a little bit. Um, came back to DC, hung around family, and then, and now I'm out here in Arizona, and uh, it's it's perfect for my lifestyle. It's a little bit of that West Coast feel, a little laid back, but. Weather gets a little hot, but you know we still have seasons. They're just not traditional seasons, but we have 80 degree swings. And been out, been out in Arizona and loved it. Uh, met my future wife here. So and, yeah, uh, just had a baby, right? How long ago was that? Uh, we met five years ago. So I I got out to Arizona about six years ago. So and then uh, obviously we just had my newborn. So he's about nine months now. So nine months. How was fatherhood? Oh my, it's. It's a lot of lack of sleep, but what, and it, you know, it tests you in a lot of different ways and my, and your perspective changes, right? Yeah. I mean, things that I thought, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. What's the biggest thing that changed? My perspective. Yeah. You know, things that, yeah, yeah. Things that I thought were important before mean nothing now, right? Yeah. (laughs) Things that I thought I couldn't do, I, I do now, right? Like changing diapers and you know, and, and, and like, and, and just, and, and like, you know, we're, we're pretty blessed. Like my wife has her own business and, and I'm, you know, I'm in analytics now. So I'm in the IT industry. And so we, we do fairly well for ourselves. I call ourselves like upper middle-class kind of exactly how we grew up. Right. And, mm. and, and it's like, my, all of my income goes to him. Right. You know, it's, it's without it, without a question, anything that he needs or wants, I used to have my stuff that I had kids, right? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And and now I know I'm third on the totem pole in this family, right? So, you know, yeah. I used to be number one and now I'm, you know, slid to number two and, and now I'm number three and I don't know, if we have another kid, maybe I'll be four. So we'll <laughs> it's bad, you know, we've got, uh, I'm behind the dog now. So it's... <laughs> 
So it's kid, dog, me, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah, that's about right. That's about right. That's the way I feel. And of course, and my wife will go, no, no, no. But, but, but yeah. speaks louder than <laughs> words. I know where I am. You know, it's okay. Yeah, totally. It's, it's hilarious. What, um, you know, it's funny because my son is going to be 17 next month. And you forget a lot about having a baby and like, you know, you mentioned the sleepless nights and, and all that sort of stuff. Like you only remember the good parts. So there's something to look forward to there. You'll forget, you'll edit out all the, <laughs> all the uh, sleepless nights and temper tantrums and that sort of thing. But what's, what's, uh, what's the newest thing that's going on with your kid? Teething, man. Mm. Teething. It's brutal. I, and by the way, it blows my mind that you and I are about this, you know, I, I think the same age, if not, maybe we might be like a couple months off that yours is 17 and mine's nine months yeah, like that. That still blows my mind, but pretty blessed. But yeah, the teething, uh, the teething thing is, is big right now. He's, he's gotten his personality. He's laughing. He's sort of, he's definitely crawling. He's walking around with assistance, but the teething thing is, is pretty big just because it, you know, keeps him up at night. It keeps us, us up at night. It's, He's discovering himself. He's chewing on everything. He's drooling everywhere. It's 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 that phase, right? And wait, he's not socially distancing. No, no, no. <laughs> we have him out and about. <laughs> no, we 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 are we've taken a pretty cautious approach about all that. You know, I bet um, it's hard. I mean, what are what are the biggest things you worry about with that? Well, obviously, what they say about kids' development, right? And so we we just had our nine month checkup and. You know, the, the doctor, here's the funny thing, right? You, you, we, we think he's perfect, right? Every parent thinks their kid is perfect. I'm pretty sure he's not going to be perfect. Like at this rate, I think he's going to become a. There's going to be something where he's not. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and like, so the doctor says, you know, hey, he's got a couple of little of these minor things. Nothing crazy. Like, you know, knock on wood, he's not. He's completely healthy. But she told me some things and I'm like, Oh, F you, my kid's perfect. Right. And then you realize there's a mortality to all this, right. That, he, that there could be problems that he develops over time. And then, and then you start going, how do we change that? And as a parent, you can't control a lot of these things. You, you have an influence, but some of these things you just can't control. And, and, um, and so the, the, the biggest worry that we have is this, that social interaction, like here, here's what, here's what the doctor said. She goes, well, by now nine months, the kids should be waving and saying hi and goodbye. And I'm going, well, who does he say goodbye to? Yeah. Well, yeah. how does he know to say goodbye? We we don't ever say hi and goodbye to him, right? <laughs> yeah, he's always there. Yeah, and he's uh, always there. And yeah. and I work from home. So yeah. I'm always here. Yeah. So now what we're doing is every time we come into a room, we say hello and goodbye. It sounds silly, but it is. And we're doing this because the doctor thinks that yeah. he's behind, even though he's probably excelling in other areas. And so this is where it, the mind games come into play. It's right? kind of silly, right? Like on some level I get it, but on another level it's like, dude, you know, if he learns to say goodbye when he's three, who cares? You know what yeah, I mean? Well, that's a, yeah. there's a moment, exactly. like you can't catch up on that one. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, like eventually he's going to talk, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm okay if it's not right now. Right. And, and mm. it's, and eventually he's going to walk. Right. So I'm not, I, I think I'm, I'm over milestones. Right. Yeah. Um, have you, um, have you ever read, uh, the book Freakonomics? Do you know that book? Yeah, I'd never read it. I've, I've heard excerpts of friends of mine have all talked about it. So I've circulated around it, but I've never, I've never actually read the book. Yeah. I read it a long time ago, so I'm sort of working off memory, but there's a chapter, you know, each chapter is a different topic and one of them is child rearing. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, 
even though I, I think I probably read it before my son was born. I, yeah, I still fell into all of the traps. So don't, don't take this as, uh, as a critique because I did exactly the same that every parent does. But they basically did a huge study. I think it was in Chicago. They were able to track over time like 40,000 kids that were in this study. It was a huge study. Mm-hmm. And they found that all of the things that we as parents do um, really have little or no impact on their development. <laughs> so, for instance, like... You know, like reading to them or even taking them to shows and all those sort of, you know, outreach sort of things to get them to to develop really long term had no impact. And there were these weird uh, data points that, you know, correlated with, um, you know, intelligence or excellence over time or what have you. Again, I'm sort of working on memory here, but it was like, how many books do the parents have in their house? Mm-hmm. Not do you read to them, not, you know, does he or she read them, but just how many books are there? You know, it's just weird stuff like that where, um, where you know, what determined how kids turned out had, had little to do with, with the stuff that modern parents worry about. Another one was like, who are their friends? You know, are their fr- do their friends up in jail? They're likely to end up in jail. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Yeah. And so it's, it, it was shocking and, you know, it's, it's funny because – we as parents, you know, we, we want so much for our kids that even if you are convinced of something like that, it doesn't, it still doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. still going to react the way I'm going to react and I'm going to do everything I can for my kid. But I yeah. just, think it's very interesting. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And the, 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 you know, one of my friends who's recently became a father too, right. Cause that's, that's what we do. We associate right with people around what we have or what we've known. And, and he said, what we do with our kids have nothing to do for them. It's all for us. <laughs> it makes us feel good. Yeah. To know to feel like my, parents, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. And, and it comes down to, and this is where I think this is to me the biggest lesson and whether or not you take this across religion and politics and all the, it all comes down to our own judgment of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Our personal judgment. And it's like, we just need to go easy on ourselves, right? Easier in, in the world about, how we judge ourselves, how we judge others, right? And, yep. and just recognize that maybe what we're doing is good enough, you know, because you know, there, you know, we, we always go, well, it's not good enough. It's not st- smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not fast enough. You don't make it enough. And it's like, no, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes just being, living clean, you know, and clean is a, you know, it could, it's interpretive, but living clean, living good and being a good person, sometimes that's good enough. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah, I, shoot, I want to talk about a hundred things based on what you said, <laughs> but um, I, know. I saw Bruce Springsteen talking about uh, parenthood once, mm-hmm. and his issue was, you know, obviously he's as rich as you want to be, right? He could be yeah. the, the yeah. emperor of Egypt if he liked, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he was talking with another friend, I forget who, he's telling a story about talking to somebody else famous and rich and like, you know, I worry that these kids grow up with absolutely everything handed to them. You know, they have no challenges, you know, they're not forced to learn the lessons that we did as poor kids and yada, yada, yada. And and the guy said to him, listen, man, the world's going to take care of that. Mm. You don't need to worry about that. You just love your kids. You know what I mean? Let the yeah. world <laughs> take care of, you know, because I feel that too. Like, especially now that my son is, you know, he's, shoot, he's almost an adult. Yeah. And I wonder, like, am I hard enough on him? Am I being too soft? Am I giving him too many things without it, you know, setting up challenges in front of him? And it's, 
man, it's such guesswork and I just don't know. And you just, like you said, you just try to do your best and, and do right things and yeah, see what happens, you know? Yeah. We have this innate ability to judge us on what we did wrong, but don't evaluate ourselves on what we did right. Yeah. And it, it's nasty. <laughs> you, you, you know, I mean, it's like, it's crazy, but it's funny. You bring up the Bruce, the, the Bruce Springsteen thing. It's pretty funny to me because no matter what income level you are, there's always a different set of problems and yeah. different set of obstacles. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and we like to think that the rich are uh, worry free, but the reality is they're more in my mind and all the, and I've known some billionaires in my life, right. Just through happenstance, not, not personal friends, like, you know, through conversations and business owners and such. And these guys are trapped in their own perfectionism, mm -hmm. right? It, but theirs is just at a different scale than ours. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and to me, it's like, I've, I've often thought about that. Like, do I really want to be a billionaire? Right. It sounds good. Doesn't it? Like, and, and here's the thing, as I think about it today, as me not being a billionaire, it's easier to do, but these guys became billionaires because they have a, what I, I call it a sickness. It's a, it's a gift. It's a sickness. It's a disease, whatever you want to call it. It's a good thing or a bad thing. Right. But they have this, this drive that will ultimately supersede anything else to be stay or get there. Yeah. And they're also dealing with their own personal demons like we do. Mm -hmm. and, it's, yeah. and at the end of the day, we're all human, Yeah, you, you know, and that's the, I just, it's just funny. They're all, they, they, they have the same things that we go through just at a different scale. For sure. It's a, it's a, I mean, it borders on <laughs> psychopaths. I <laughs> totally agree with that. <laughs> and not, yeah, not that they're, not that they're not. Yeah. I don't mean mental the, capacity, right? No, 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 no. I don't mean that at all. And yeah, yeah, no, but I agree. I agree. I've read some stuff, some like psychological studies on this topic and you know, in order to, certainly there's a few people that inherit their wealth, right? But I think I saw yesterday a tweet that showed that 70% of the millionaires, you know, didn't inherit it. But, um, wow. beside the fact, yeah. So what I mean is like in order, and, it, and it, you could say billionaire, you could say CEO, you could say, you know, president of the United States, and maybe we'll get to that, but it <laughs> takes a certain personality type that is willing to sacrifice everything in their life to accomplish whatever it is they think the ultimate goal is, to yeah. win at all costs, yeah. to work 120 hours, to be ruthless in many cases. And, and there's certainly exceptions to any of those statements, but you know, the more that you're willing to do those things, the more likely it is you're going to be, you know, I don't know, Elon Musk. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, yeah. And you know, you know what I really, I don't know this for a fact, you could probably, but I wonder if they ever really achieve that one thing, mm -hmm. right? I wonder if there, if that goalpost doesn't keep moving to them and to all of us, really, it's like, when do we really feel like we've finished and gotten <laughs> to where we want to be right and say, this is it. Well, that's the trick. Like, you can't, like, I think as humans, you can't ever really do that. If you allow yourself to do that, that's where the trouble starts. I think you have to have something that you're aiming at all the time mm -hmm. and you have to be working towards it. And I've experienced this in my own life, like where you, where you get to a point where for whatever reason you've sort of lost focus on the things you want or, you know, some things out of your control have caused you to be in a job you don't like or doing something that, you know, really doesn't get you going in the morning. 
and it spirals, you know, and it turns people into unhappy people. And, uh, you know, that aim doesn't have to be, a, you know, a billion dollars. It could be, you know, yeah. I want to be mayor. Or I want to solve uh, world hunger. Or I want to, you know, fix the environment. You know, it doesn't have to be something. Um, it could be altruistic, but I think you got to have something that you're working on all the time. I've started uh, reading a lot of stoicism, <laughs> which I don't know if you've had a chance to, but I really like it. And, it, you know, it's just simply a study of a lot of the old philosophers like Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and some others. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this guy, Ryan Holiday, who has a book called The Daily Stoic, which I read every day. Obviously, it's just like a quick little thing. And one of mm-hmm. he tweeted the other day, he's like, if you aren't uh, facing up to new challenging challenges and learning and growing from, from trying to defeat them, what are you doing? yeah you know what i mean (laughs) it it kind of slaps you in the face a little bit but it's true like that's that's to me the whole thing is like you know figuring out this life obviously we're all trying to do that but if you're not aimed at something and trying to improve yourself and trying to get better like you know things can fall apart quickly yeah i i agree but my my one my one thought around that would be as long as you're running to something and not away from something. Right. So, you know, like if I think that I'm not smart enough and that's the driving motivation to become smarter, I think that's running away from something. Whereas if I say, Hey, this is something I want, right. It may be a motivator or a driver, but I just, I would, I, my thing is like, are these, they're insatiable hunger. And I agree with the challenges. I agree with wanting to learn. It stimulates your brain. I, I think that we always should be striving to be better, um, but it depends on what's that driver. And if it's that disease of black hole that will never get filled, yeah. then I feel like it could be a negative thing, right? Whereas if you're saying, you know, this is what I want to do. It's something like, like you know, we talked about it before we came on the, your, your podcast. It's something you've always wanted to do. You're not, you're not doing this because you're saying, I need to get away from whatever poverty or whatever it is. And I have to do this. This is saying, Hey, I want to do this. And that to me, that drive of wanting to do something is what you're, is what I think these guys are talking about, not having to do something to get out from somewhere else. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree. You know, sometimes I go back and forth on that one, Lucas. I, sometimes I think like, you know, we should just take the world as it is. And, you know, uh, I often try not to assign motive to people, especially when we're in conflict, right? Like, let's just figure out the problem. Let's figure out what the solution is. And I'm not going to worry about why you're doing that. There's a, there's a great quote from Ben Franklin. He's like, people do things for two reasons. They're either forced to or they have an interest in it. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, part of me wants, like, ideally I'd like to be that way, but I understand what you're saying and I do sometimes question the motivation of folks and, and why they're doing things. And I think you're right. Like if that motivation is a very dark thing, you'll never be satisfied. Right. But I also believe that you can accomplish great things because of that. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't necessarily like your bad motive, your, your dark demons doesn't necessarily um, take away from what you accomplish, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So you, yeah, no, you turn yeah, bad into good is what I'm trying to say, you know? Yeah, great things can still happen in either case. Yeah. I'm more thinking about it very internally for some of the, for some of those folks that I know where, you know, how we, we talk about that judgment about that, 
hey, is it ever good enough? Like when or when do you, when do we intrinsically ever feel like we've made it or have been good enough? That doesn't mean that our drive to learn has to stop mm-hmm. or whatever that keeps motivating us to keep learning may be different because you're right. Great things do happen, but it's, I just worry for individually pe- individual people. I, I worry for us as a human race that we, we can't ever say that we're good enough. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't know of anybody. I, I can't think of anybody who sits around, walks around and go, man, I'm, I'm great. <laughs> I, I've raised my kid pretty darn well. I'm good. Right. <laughs> like that, when does that worry ever stop? And it's like, man, does that, that hurts us, I think to a degree, but anyway, so that's, it's funny because what I think about as you're saying that is fathers and sons mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I, th- there's so much literature, like half of probably great literature is about this, right? But, um, you know, I think of, I love The West Wing. I don't know if you like that show. We still watch it. Like we just watched it, you know, over the last six months, we watched all of it again. Yeah, and, I, heard, I heard good things. I've watched a couple episodes. And there's this scene, I forget when, but one of his counselors uh, is very close to him, but they're also sort of sometimes can get in each other's face. This guy's name's Toby and it's the president. And uh, they get to his dad. And it turns out his dad beat him and never once um, showed him any love or respect or, hey, you're doing a good job. And it mm-hmm. sort of intimates that that's, that's been his drive his entire life is he wants to be the smartest dude in the room. He wants to prove his dad wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I, I think that personality type exists in a lot in the types of folks you're talking about, the billionaires, the high achievers. Yes. I think there's a fathers and sons thing there. I'm not saying with everybody, but I think it's in there for a lot yeah. of them. And so, and for that guy, right? I, I think this is where his greatness is. He's this guy in this, in this world, right? Is going to do great things, right? He's in the white house. He's, he's influencing, right? He's probably doing what he thinks is best. But when you look deep down, is he ever really going to be happy with no. those accomplishments? Mm-mm. And that's the part that, that dry, that it just, I wonder about. And I, I, I think our, we don't place enough emphasis on. I'm trying not to go like all hippie on you right now, oh, but cool, like, I, uh, <laughs> I talk a lot about with, you know, I manage sellers. And uh, so we talk a lot about mindset because it's half of the battle is, is being in the right mindset. And, you know, happiness is a tough thing, man. Mm. Um, and the best thing that I've seen about it is expectations minus reality. That's happiness. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. higher your expectations are, the more likely that reality is going to be less than that and you will be unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> and if you yeah. lower your so expectations, so and that's kind of what you're talking about earlier too, is like, just be, just yeah. stop thinking about what your expectations are of yourself or the world or anything else yeah. and just be and let reality inform your happiness rather than, you know, Constantly having it. That's what you're talking about is these guys, these billionaires, these driven guys, they have this expectation that they'll never achieve. And so they'll always be unhappy because the reality never gets there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, to me, it's all about, it, it, it's expectation setting in the sense that like, yeah, you know what, you, you may have these expectations that are high level, but reset them so that you're, they're achievable. And right. And I feel like now we're talking about like all the cliche, you know, <laughs> self-help books, right. And all those things, but it's, it's very, it's very fundamental. Yeah. Right? It's very simple. So, and it's, and I don't know, maybe we got here because through the happiness thing, because of, you know, our state of our country. Right. And here's a good segue, here's a good segue for you. And there it and, is. Yeah, there, there it is. is. There it is. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're, yeah. <laughs> 
I love the segue, but I don't want to give up this topic yet. So yeah, no, it's okay. I agree with you a hundred percent. And, um, you know, COVID for me has caused And I, you know, I, I went through this with a friend of mine recently. He was very unhappy. And, you know, I just said, look, man, this is COVID. You're, you need to change your expectations. You're expecting these things. And because of what's going on in this country, it's just not possible. Right. Yeah. That's another great cliche. And that, that's the thing with cliches. I mean, yeah, they're cliche, but they're cliche because they have within them, right? There's a reason. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, the, it, it's actually Deepak Chopra, who I used to read years and years ago. He's kind of a kook. And he, again, he's a little hippy dippy, like you were saying, but he's got some great stuff. And one of them is the cause of all suffering is unreality. <laughs> the reason you suffer is you do not, you're not looking at the world as it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's a big thing, man. And it's what, what, what drives happiness is the way you look at the world. Are you being real with yourself and what's around you? But yeah, what's going on yeah. COVID in, in uh, Arizona, man? Uh, you know, actually we're getting more positive results. I heard that, um, you know, our, you know, metrics are metrics, right? I, I live in a data world, so they all could be spun different ways and it could be taken out of context. But the bottom line is it sounds like hospital beds are, are relieving, right? You know, our, our frontline workers are, are, are getting a little reprieve, just they're not seeing as many um, is what we're hearing, right? So we, whether or not it's reality, who knows? Um, but but, the, re, but the, the real, to me, it's Cases will come and go. I think it's like, it, it's going to become the flu, right? I look at this like, because it's very similar. It's, it's highly contagious. It's airborne. It's all these things. But it's the hospitalization. It's the stress that it puts on our system of healthcare mm -hmm. that I probably worry about the most. Not necessarily getting it. it. And it's serious, right? But can we at least relieve the stress for, the, for those that need it? And, and can we care for those when it does happen? Right. That's, that's so, and it's, so to me, those numbers are getting positive or, or they're, they're reducing. So they're, they're more signs of positivity, but I don't, I don't really pay attention to how many people have it. Like, Oh, 70,000 people, 80,000 people. If we did the same thing for the, you know, granted, this is a little bit more severe than the flu, but we're, but when the flu probably first got introduced into the world, I feel like it would have felt like this. Yeah. This, this moment in history is only marked because of how much, um, how much transmission of information can happen in this world today, right? If we did not know, if we did not have the internet and the television, the radio, it would not even think about that concept of, I would never know what's happening in Florida. <laughs> I wouldn't even know what's happening in the town next to mine. And so then my little world would be somewhat fine. We would figure it out. And, and, and in that little and bubble. And just any strangers that show up at the town gates. That's right. That's right. And, you, and, you, and it would be more localized, right? And you, there'd probably be better ways. And this is where I come into like my political views. But it's like the localized, you know, my own little ground zero, right, of, of what's around me. And then all of a sudden you take care of it that way. And instead, I got to hear about New York and about Florida and about, you know, Italy. And it's like all right. So what? It's, it's a flu. It's going to happen. It's going to spread. Like, you know, there's nothing, we can't do anything about that anymore. Right. You know, you, you can wear masks as long as you want, but eventually it's going to, it's, I feel like my mind is everybody's going to get it. It's like the flu. You're going to get it eventually. Mm -hmm. You just hope that it's not nearly as bad, or at least we've learned enough about it to, you know, 
handle the symptoms and, and be able to give, provide the care that, that gets people what they need. Right. Yeah. I, I can't disagree with anything you said. And, and it's, it's crazy, right? Like any way you look at it, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, to your point, like the number of cases versus the number of deaths, right? Like, uh, f- you know, you mentioned Florida, which obviously I live here. We, we lead the nation in number of cases. However, we're 18th in deaths. Right. And, right. and there are states that had four times per capita the deaths that we did. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like, what, why is that? What's going on? You know, yeah. certainly our population is older, so it's not that. Maybe it's the weather. Some, you know, I've, I've read a bunch of studies. I actually just was arguing with somebody on Facebook about whether the sun kills COVID or not. But, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, it's like there's so many studies and so many things going on and nobody really knows what's happening but it sure is a good bludgeon to, to um, implicate people around the world, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and the worst part is, to me, the worst part about all this is it got political somehow. And that's, that is deplorable to me, right? Like, in, in political and how, how the, where the money is going and how it's been handled. And it's like, if this had happened one year after an election... I yep. wonder how this would have been handled differently. Be over by now. Or, or even better yet, how the message would have been handled differently by our own government, right? Yeah. That's the part to me yeah. that I think. Because, I mean, let's face it, mis- huge mistakes were made. And you can go back, you know, and say, oh, we weren't prepared, you know, mm-hmm. like swine flu and avian flu and all that stuff. But that never really happened here. And so we weren't prepared. And certainly the folks in charge when it first started wanted to downplay. It's not a big deal. You know, they'll pass quickly. Don't worry about it. They're trying to gin and gin the game. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it explodes. And now you get the other side gin in the game the other way. Like he's, you know, yeah. Yeah. President Trump is responsible for 170,000 deaths and all of the, uh, it's, it's crazy. Like they, you know, we have to have a lockdown and that killed the economy and a lot of jobs. <laughs> and now, he didn't lock down well enough, but also he's responsible for all the jobs we lost. Like right. you could do that both ways, right? Like I'm not trying to say that, but it's, you're right. Like, see, this is part of my thesis. I think in this podcast is everything is political. It's yeah, all yeah. bullshit, and it's yeah, all yeah. bad for you. Yeah, yeah. Tell yeah. me I'm wrong. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. no, I hey, I I agree, and it's and it comes back down to here's our judgment again of, of people and, and that we, how we did things wrong. Right. And not how we did anything. And of course the people are going to defend themselves only because right, I'm sure there's, I'm sure. Well, actually not of this president, but maybe, maybe of like other people in the office today that are a little bit more reflective about maybe how they could have handled differently. But I think this president is also so on the defensive. He has to do that. Right. And, and it's, he's a narcissist. I'm not, I am not a defender of this guy, uh, you know, but I also don't think he's as, 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 as bad as everybody says. He's not the demon himself. He's not the devil, but could he have handled things better? Could he be less of a douchebag? Sure. Right. You know, but, but at the same time, I mean, it's funny because like I'm a contrarian, right. And I am a libertarian. And so I often find myself defending the president because people are ripping on him, but it's not because I like him. It's because the rip isn't correct. And by the way, apply (laughs) that same rip to the man or woman. And we're going to, this is such a cycle that we deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every, every, every president, 
And every and I really believe a woman president's coming, right? And we we know it's going to happen. It's going to be great to it, you know, because it's it's going to signify change, and it, and hopefully she'll do a great job of who, no matter who it is, is going to get criticized, and you can never please everybody. There's no, there was no perfect answer here. You're absolutely yeah. right. If yeah. you hold back the economy, if you hold back jobs, and you and you say a hundred thousand people, let's say we saved a hundred thousand lives by shutting down the economy. 10, 30 million people still would have been out of work. And so now what do you do? And I'm not saying one live is worth 30 million. I'm not, I don't want to get into all that. I'm just saying there's always, a, you'll never have this silver bullet. Mm-hmm. It, there isn't. So it's enough. Like, you're you know, wrong. Yeah, you're wrong no matter what you do, right? No matter what like, they, they messed up a lot, right? And, yeah. and there's no defending that. But I also think they're trying to do the right thing for the most part, you know, and- Still, nobody knows exactly what you should do. I mean, there's still arguments every day about, like I said, it does sun kill COVID on surfaces or not? Like people are arguing about that. Does yeah. is are wearing masks effective? The cloth masks. There's an argument there. I know people don't want to hear that, but there's science on both sides of it. Yeah. You know, um, should you go outside? You should you wear a mask outside? You know, like nobody knows. I mean, certainly if we lock down everybody, nobody leaves the house. Nobody interacts with anybody ever. It would eventually end. But at what cost? To your point. It's yeah. kind of like the, um, you know, in the last podcast, I was, I was talking a little bit about climate change. And this author makes a great point. He's like, listen, let's forget climate change, forget COVID. Let's just take this on another subject, which is 40,000 people die every year in car accidents. Right. <laughs> we can stop anybody from dying in a car accident if we set the speed limit at three miles per hour. Are you yeah. <laughs> Is that what we're going to do? No. We make a trade-off. To your point, you didn't want to talk about it, but to your point, we make a trade-off. We say, you know what? It's going to be 60 miles. It's going to be 70 miles per hour. Some people are going to die. Mm-hmm. That is a, is a smaller cost than three miles per hour. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't necessarily like the implications of that. It doesn't sound like I'm a, a nice guy saying it, but that's what we do. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. You know? And, and, and I think at the level of the president and, and uh, you know, running a huge country like ours, that's the game you, you're playing, whether you like it or not, is who's going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's yeah. a trade-off everywhere because maybe, maybe not who's getting, there is a consequence. How about that? You know, you know, so, but you're right. There is, there is, there is always that risk reward, you know, and that's what any person in that position has to judge. And I don't, I'm with you. I don't think he's an evil guy. I think the Democrats are blowing this out of proportion, but that's what they got to do because it's politics, right? Yeah. I thought the DNC was really dark. Holy moly. Right. So that, that we'll get into that maybe later on. I don't know how much time we have here, but as much as you uh, like, but what, what, yeah. I didn't catch what you meant though. Uh, the DNC, the, the speakers, everybody was, oh. dark. you know, they was just, the mood was, the world was going to end, you know, and, and it's like, so let me get this right. I, I loved this one quote. I, I, I thought it was hilarious. It was, a, you know, the AOC, I don't know where, a, you know, the, the, you know, the, I forget her, Oscar, you know, uh, what's her name? Oscar Quaterio, whatever, Cortez, I don't know. AOC up in the, in the government, she said that the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't do something about climate change. <laughs> and I'm going, Wow. So you think in 12 years, just because we elect a Democrat, that that's going to actually shift like our timeline here? Like, and then I loved it because Andrew Yang was like, 
yeah, we've already done our damage. You know, let's, yeah. let's talk about, you know, let's talk about, you know, damage control because, you know, whatever's going to happen is already set in motion, right? For sure. We've, we've already done that damage. Let, let's talk about other ways. And I'm like, so, so this, this, I love this, it, Yang, by the way, I would have voted not, for him if he I, I've never voted for a Democrat, right? Like I'm a libertarian. I end yeah. up usually voting Republican just because it's mostly like not the Democrat, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> which which is a whole other discussion. But I would have voted for Andrew Yang, hundred um, percent. You know, I like him a lot. I think he. I wished he had done better in the in the debates because he just got steamrolled. And and whether or not you want to argue about it, he got three questions, you know, in five minutes when everybody else talked for twenty. I sort of agree with that, but what he did in that three minutes was. Un, uninspiring. That's what I mean. I, I completely. I'm not disagreeing. I wish he I had agree. more. Time. But if you're going, if you know your position, right? He he had to have understood the landscape that was happening. So that means if you're going to make the most of that three minutes, you got to do it in a way that is meaningful and is powerful. And you got to make it three times more powerful because you're getting half the third of the airtime. Right. And, and then, but his answers were just. He, he kept going back to the thousand dollar dividend. I thought that was the probably worst idea I've ever heard. He thought. <laughs> I thought what he said was right. Yeah, I mean, he said it was right. Yeah, but his his every every politician has to have that platform, and the thousand dollar platform just didn't make any sense. It just didn't. Yeah, I I mean I agree with you. I thought he he didn't do very well in the debates. He seemed nervous, and he didn't he didn't he didn't come across you know like you want to sound presidential. You want to speak with exactly people, right. confidence in those. So people are like, wow, this guy's good. You know, they don't even need to hear the words. They can see it. You know what I mean? And yeah. he didn't have any of that. That's something you can teach, though. I mean, you're not, you're not going to turn into Barack Obama, but you can get better at it, right? Yeah. But um, the UBI, the, the basic income thing, yeah. the funniest thing about that is it's actually a conservative idea from the 60s. I think it was Milton Freeman. but it, I, I keep telling everybody that. I keep, this and, is not the first time this has happened. Yeah, but here's the trick. His idea was, yeah, we're going to give somebody basic income, but we're getting rid of every single welfare program. And so, and and in the long run, it actually costs the government less to do that. Mm. And I would be 100% for that because I think there's so much waste and fraud. I mean, you you just, let's be honest, you watch the EFT system at at your local uh, gas station and there's a lot of bullshit being bought. You know what I mean? So... (laughs) Uh, you know, but that's neither here nor there. I think that would be a really smart way to go about it. And it, 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 uh, it forces people to be personally responsible for themselves, you know, in a way that I think when, you know, and I don't want to be blaming poor people, right? Like that's not my thing, but you know, when, when you suddenly are on the government dole and you get handouts, like you start to not feel responsible for your own actions, I believe. I, I think the exact same thing. You know, yeah. it's the same thing that Bruce Springsteen was talking about, right? When you get handed everything, right? Where's the sense of of um, materiality? Where's the sense of responsibility there, yeah. right? You know, accountability, you know, discipline, and you know, and I worry about that with kids too. Like that's the other thing I was thinking about when we were talking about billionaires is their kids. Like, I can't think of a person that grew up extremely wealthy that's accomplished anything. <laughs> they don't I need to. Can't. They don't. They don't need to. Yeah. They don't learn how to. Right. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's a thing. But we got off topic. So, so yeah, I, I, I have to admit to you, uh, I watched the first 40 minutes of, of the uh, Democratic National Convention mm. the first night. When was that, Monday? Yeah. And I couldn't do it anymore. 
<laughs> I didn't watch any other nights. And I'm a politics junkie too, but like, I, I don't think it was as much, I, you know, I, for me, it was like, it was just like a long infomercial and it wasn't very well produced. Oh man, <laughs> don't get me started. I actually watched, so if you watch the first 40, I watched the last 40, right? So I saw, you know, it, 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 it I just disgusted me some of the things that, that, politics are doing. I'm not even saying Democrats. I'm just saying that there's this, the system of our politics has to change, but mm. the Democrats just, we're just so, here's the thing. If, if I have one advice for the Democrats, I'm a libertarian too, right? So I believe in smaller government. I don't like to label myself as either one. I like to label myself as a reasonable person, right? A logical person, right? If the Democrats want my vote and I don't get same with the Republicans, right? Cause I'm not voting for either one of them. <laughs> but if either one of them want my vote, show me policy. Don't show me, hey, that guy's so fuck, fucked up or that guy's so bad, sorry. But if that guy's so bad, vote for me because I'm not as bad. But you're not telling me what you're going to do. right? Yeah. You, all you're doing is setting a barometer saying, hey, that guy is so bad, but we're better than him. So that's why you should vote for me. That's not good enough. <laughs> right? you, you, that isn't. And, and that's all they're doing. And, and this is what I also loved about Yang is Yang says, if we keep talking about Trump, we've already lost. Yeah. Talk about your, what you're going to do in the future. And my real problem with the Democrats is their extremism. Like this socialism of, of buying votes and giving everybody everything just to get Trump out. What? <laughs> there are, there's a, I believe this country is starting a mass um, movement towards the middle where the extremes, the extremisms are the ones who have the highest voice because they do all the stupidest things. Right. But that middle ground that says they go, yeah, I don't like Trump, but I also don't like the fact that you're going to give everybody free education. So it's like, you know, you're putting us in this middle, right? Cause these extremes are going so far right and left mm-hmm. and we've lost that middle and that middle is not going to vote. I don't think they're going to vote for either side. You know, a lot of what you said, I just, you just said, I agree with, I think um, the, uh, you know, part of me does though, like sort of the inside baseball game of politics and you know what they did there, you described it perfectly and it's purposeful too. Mm -hmm. Like the whole, their whole strategy is everybody hates Trump. Things are going shitty in 2020. All we have to do is remind you how shitty it is. And run out the clock. Right. We don't have to do anything positive. We certainly don't want to tell you, to your point, all the things we're going to do once you elect us. Because that (laughs) might mean that you don't vote for us. Right? I mean, shoot, I just saw today there's a a Twitter war about whether or not they said under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. (laughs) And the truth is, when it was televised, they said under God. And when there were private meetings, like little caucus meetings, they didn't. And they're doing that because they don't want to piss anybody off when it's televised by not saying under God, right? Like the whole purpose is to get reelected. That's the whole purpose of the convention. That's the whole purpose of a politician. And so that's the game they're playing is they're just trying to win in that method. And it's pretty smart, to be honest with you. Like they're probably going to win unless something, you know, pretty big happens between now and and November. Um, I think it's, it's pretty well aligned for them to do that. Um, but I do agree with you too. Like part of the reason that I loved Yang so much was, you know, his, his 
talk about. And I'm, I didn't see him obviously this week, but during uh, his campaign, he'd say, look, you guys all want to talk about Trump. Well, Trump's just a symptom. Yeah. He got elected because of the huge problems that we have. (laughs) You're not talking about them. You know what I mean? And if you continue to not talk about him, he's going to keep, or somebody like him is going to keep getting elected because I mean, I have to be honest with you and I'm going to say it out loud. I voted for Trump. And the reason I voted for Trump is fuck all you guys in Washington. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't vote for Trump, but I was, I was happy. He is exactly what I thought he was going to be. Yeah, me too. I mean, it wasn't happy. I held my nose, you know, <laughs> tallest of the pygmies. Any, any way you want to say that, but yeah, a big part of it was I don't trust any politician and let's see what happens if we throw a wrench into their machine. Yeah. And that's the best part about it because here's what I love is now you have politicians going, Hey, Trump, you're not allowed to do that. And Trump's going, well, you've been doing it. And then they go, Oh, well, you know, and and it's like, he's, it's, it's so great because what he has done in a way is exposed. And I'm not saying he's done this purposefully, right? He it's by complete sheer chaos that he's done this, right? (laughs) Which is exactly kind of what I wanted Yeah, for all them to have to look in the mirror and get judged by what they're judging him on. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly what's happening. And in a way we, maybe we do. And it's funny because even, even Biden said this in his, in his acceptance speech is that you have to go through some dark times to get to the light Yeah, and, and fine. He's a douchebag. I don't like him personally, but he also isn't the worst thing in the world. We had record low unemployment rate during his time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and people are going to say it's because of Obama and all that stuff. Well, yeah, but not really. And, and we're always going to blame. We're always going to, because we don't like somebody, we're going to give their accomplishments to the guy beforehand. And remember when Obama came into office, he inherited all the shit from the guy before him. Right. And it's always going to this same cycle yeah. over and over again. But to your exact point, he did exactly what I wanted him to do, which is shake shit up, which is have everybody cry about what he's getting away with. Meanwhile, they all do the same thing. Yeah. Right. They're all lining their pockets too. And, and there's in cause that's human nature to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. None of them are selfless. Right. I yeah. say that's a lot. Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent. He is a difference in degree, not in kind. Right. He's, he's actually better at it than any of the politicians, but it's the same freaking game. He plays <laughs> the exact same game that they play, but he does it better. And he also, and and I'm not saying that's that's a net positive in his no no morality, yeah. but he does play the game better than they do, and um, he's also authentic about it. Like he doesn't pretend like he's not playing that game, right. and that's right. the big difference between him and the other politicians is, is they all try to convince you that they have these altruistic motives, and they're just yeah. doing it to help you. Yeah. So in in that sense, they're all lying to you, right. and it's it's so ironic because what that means is people actually find Trump less untrustworthy because he'll tell you that he's going to rob you as he's robbing you rather than telling you he's trying to help you as he's robbing you. Right. Right. And in that sense, like, and, it, and I think there's a class of people that, um, you know, the, the, probably the lower middle class, you know, your, your stereotypical factory worker from the Midwest that appreciates that authenticity at least, mm-hmm. you know, Yep. And that's a big swing vote. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I don't like him personally. 
uh, I think <laughs> I love this TV show, right? Like <laughs> there's definitely that. And I, you know, sometimes I, I watch him even in a press conference and entertained by the ridiculousness of what he is. But um, to your point, I mean, I, the policies weren't, were pretty good. They weren't great, but they were pretty good. The economy took off. Like as soon as he ele- was elected, the economy took off. The well, stock market well, yeah. went up 30%, yeah. you know, the day after he was elected, basically. And, and by the way, stock markets are future looking. Yeah. So, so if you're going to sit there and say there was all Obama, look yeah. at what the stock market did with Obama. Yeah. Right? It's like it, it didn't it didn't go up as high if they, if we, if we really thought if the economy and like and markets and granted the markets are a loose interpretation of our economy, right? Cause there's jobs and there's wages and I, I understand the complexity, mm-hmm. but it, but we would have been at 30,000 under Obama because we would have thought the sky was the limit, but we didn't. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? It was the next, it was, it was him and some of his policies that got us there. So anyway, so hundred percent, you know, yeah. Okay. Just real quick. So I agree with you hundred percent. You know, it is ironic. Like you said, you know, when Obama took over, the economy was terrible for a long time and it was all Bush's fault. Um, but now it's all Obama's economy when it is good during the administration. And, you know, the other thing that bothers me about that whole discussion is the phrase, which you don't hear it much anymore, but uh, the worst uh, recession since the Great Depression, mm-hmm. right? That was always the story of why they couldn't get the economy going. It was because it was the worst recession since the great, well, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, unemployment went higher in the early eighties, the Reagan recession, mm-hmm. uh, the peak to trough drop in GDP was bigger in the recession after world war two ended. Mm-hmm. It was the worst recovery since right. the great depression. Right. And that was because of the policies that were in place during that quote unquote recovery. And that's also why the stock market went crazy after Trump won because they knew the policies would change and the recovery would finally take off. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. The one, you know, it's, and getting back to one thing though, and, and it's like, you said something earlier I thought was really funny because I am not a, I find myself on the same thing, the contrarian side of Trump where people hate him so much and I'm going, well, you know, he's not as bad. And then everybody thinks that all of a sudden I love the man, right? It's yeah. like, hang on a minute. Just, win, all dude. I'm trying to do is you, you had it, you hit the nail on the head about reshift your argument. I'm, I'm not disagreeing at all with what, you know, some of them are saying, but it's like they have to rephrase or, or better yet apply it to just about anybody that's in office. But Really quick, the one thing I wanted to mention, and I talked to my wife about this, because pretty much any, any, most women that I know, absolutely, just you can't have, and, and there's emotions there, right? And I get that, right? Because of, of who he is and what he has done. But the, the single most powerful thing that he has done, and he did this without knowing it, is start the, is enable the Me Too movement. And I told, I told Jen, I was like, if Hillary got elected, there would have been this collective... I, I believe, I'm not saying this is true, but there would have been this collective sigh of release by most women in the world that we made it. Yeah. And, and the women that are out there that are finally having the courage and strength to come out against their, their, their demons, right? And, and their oppressors and the, and, the, and the men who did things to them, right? Or, or women, right? They wouldn't have come out because they would have felt like there's, there's a... I think there would have been more inherent pressure to come out at that point. Whereas now that the strength and that start of that movement, I think was so important and so good for the women's movement 
it would never have happened if Trump wasn't in. So there are unintended consequences and, they, and nobody wants to hear that, yeah. right? And I'm not giving him credit for it. I'm just saying that's what came out about in this country because of him, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a, so it's funny. I, I have to admit I'm an Aaron Sorkin fanboy. So he, he was the creator of the West Wing. He's also got a movie called Charlie Wilson's war. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. Oh, it's got Tom Hanks in it. You should watch it. Okay. But, okay. uh, it's about Charlie Wilson was, a um, a representative in Congress in the, uh, late seventies, early eighties. And he basically is the guy that funded the Af- Afghan rebellion against the Russians and, and in some ways ended the Cold War by it, right? Mm. Uh, anyway, there's a CIA guy that talks to, and it, they've just won. They, you know, the Russians have exited Afghanistan and, you know, the implication of the scene is we better stay in Afghanistan or else, you know, some bad things are going to happen, which sort of presupposes that that led to 9-11. Mm-hmm. And, and the CIA tells the story. He's like, you know, I, I want to tell you about uh, this kid who... Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a morality tale, right? So there's this young boy who lives in, in China long ago and, uh, he, he, uh, for his 12th birthday, he gets a horse and everybody in the town says, Oh, isn't that wonderful? He's got a horse. And the Buddhist priest says, we'll see. And then one day, not too long after he's riding the horse and he falls off and he breaks his leg and everybody says, Oh, isn't that awful? The Buddhist priest says, we'll see. A few weeks later, the town goes off to war and many of the men and boys die and this kid can't go because his leg's broken. Oh, isn't it wonderful that he didn't have to go to war? We'll see. And <laughs> hopefully yeah. folks get the point, right? Like you never know what the next thing you is. Never know. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I take your point a hundred percent, you know, like because Trump was elected that and like, I think it was the day after, wasn't it the day after the election? Not only did the stock market go crazy, but there was a huge women's march, wasn't there? Yeah. 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 So, so I take your point and I agree with you. Um, I would say the only thing I don't, you know, sort of the we'll see after the women's movement is it's turned political too, right? We, we believe survivors, except if they're survivors of Bill Clinton or potentially Joe Biden or other people that we like, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, that bothers me, right? I, th- I think, uh, there's, there's still a reckoning there. But to your point, um, you know, there's certainly a ton more um, understanding, focus, um, hopefully change in behavior uh, for, for men that act like that. Yeah, and there, it, need, it, it needed to be cleansed. It needed to, there needed to be a reckoning that happened. And, and it took a man, and I've you know, I, I don't doubt at all that he's slimy and has done those things. And, and, but it took a man to get into that kind of power for them to say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it's, and, it, and the funny thing is, is he's not the first one. It was just him that did it. Like for some reason we were, it was forgivable for Clinton to do it, but I, I don't know why. Yeah. Right. You know, but, and if you think, if you think for a moment that Clinton doesn't do quote unquote locker talk, you're out of your mind. Right. <laughs> if, 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 if there's no way that's, you know, it's just, it's that, that was that culture back then. Right. And now we have another guy and, and who, who just so happened to be the one that was a, either the face of that everybody couldn't stand that finally brought that strength up. And I, I think it's great. I, I just, I just, I just don't see that would have happened if Clinton was in. I just don't. And, yeah, and, and my thing was, you know, I, I, there was a, 
there was a, a sign out that says like anybody but Trump, right? You know, the front yard symbol that, you know, who you're voting for. And it was like anybody but Trump. To me, four years ago or whatever, it was anybody but Clinton. The Clinton machine to me had to stop, yeah. right? They, they were the most, they, I'm not a fan of our system of politics because I agree with you. The goal is to get reelected. And it's like that I have a problem with because it puts your own personal goals ahead of what you're really trying to do, which is be a servant of the people. And, and they say that to your exact point. They say, Hey, I'm here for you, but I'm going to rob you blind behind your back. Exactly. Right? You know, and it's like, but that's, you know, and it's, and it's like, we have to figure out a way where there's not the perpetual election cycle. And, and this is where it gets into our libertarian. And I know I'm about to say something that you should and probably do agree with where our government needs to be more localized, yeah. right? We cannot. And here's what I try to tell everybody. If you are, whether no matter what the movement is, black Lives movement, any of these movements, these powerful movements, if you are looking for the government to solve the issues of the United States, you are going to be sorely disappointed. Mm. And it's our federal government is what I'm trying to, is what I'm trying to say here. Yeah. If we can somehow break that down and get back to our local governments, then at least it's closer to home. And it's, and I believe that the uh, corruption and the inefficiencies, and at least the solutions can be more tailored to each individual region and state. The, I'm okay with the government, government, yeah, I'm okay with the federal government overseeing equality and peace and order and law. But if you're looking for them to come up with this broad paint stroke of a solution, you're, you're, it's never going to happen. It just no. isn't. No, I mean, that's the deal. And, and, you know, there's, if we could probably talk for another hour about, no. that. <laughs> you know, it's every institution uh, seeks power for power's sake. And the more it gets, the more corrupt it becomes. Yeah. And when it gets really large, it's really corrupt. That's right. And I agree with you. Like, and having said all that, I mean, shoot, it's still the greatest system in the world, you know, and probably that's ever lived. I mean, we live better and, and for many oh, reasons. Yeah. But part of it is the legal structure that we have and the constitution that we have. We live better than humans have ever, period, in yep. history. And yep. by far. I mean, I was talking with my son on one of these other podcasts, like, compare yourself to the king of England 500 years ago. and you have, <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So we're doing really good. But what you're yeah. talking about is the 10th Amendment, my man. It's the powers not, I had to look this up. I'm reading it to you. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. And that, that, I mean, that I can't, can't, uh, in my mind, that particular amendment is one of the most important ones that we've ignored. And we never, and nobody ever talks about it. Yeah. I mean, it's when we enacted the the national income tax and, you know, I see the point of an income tax and not going there, but, but that, I mean, at that point, I forget the exact numbers, but it's something like at that point, the federal government was like 3% of GDP. And now it's like, it's over 20. It's probably yeah. 25% now. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're actually going to have somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 to $5 trillion deficit in this fiscal year alone. Yeah. And that's what yeah. it is. When you send all the money to a concentrated place and you give them the power to do everything, 
you know, basically anything they want, they're going <laughs> to enrich themselves and their, and their cronies. Yeah, There's yeah, a reason why every county that circles Washington, D.C. is the highest per capita income county in the country. I mean, the top, the top 10, six of them are those counties that circle Washington because everybody's getting rich. Yeah. I think I, I, I tend to think about what if there were 50 presidents, right? You, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? And, and think, about, think about this concept of how easy would it be to vote out a state president? Yeah. Because it, you know, to, to, to get everybody in a country in alignment, there's, it's, it's, you know, it's, virtu- it's really tough. But to get everybody into a state into a better alignment, man, that sounds a lot easier. It, it's like I was talking about before, your, your locality is a lot easier, easier to get organized. You're, you're touching and talking to and running into your fellow mates every day. And you get to talk to them about real issues. And then you get to amass you know, how the state should be run. And you know what? Maybe, maybe you still run into the same issues of the 50-50s, but at least it's down at the state level. And we don't have to see it go all the way up to the federal government to come all the way back down to the states. Yeah. And so, I don't know. To me, that's just... 100%. I don't think we talk about... And we talk about the Second Amendment more than we talk about the Tenth. And that, <laughs> to me, is amazing, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's just... That's where the truth... In my mind, if we want to really talk about empowerment of people like the politicians do, then you, you, you get this thing down at that level. Mm-hmm. This, this country needs a bottom-up approach. Not, I agree. A top-down, and there's so much to be fixed. Like even in state governments, like yeah. you know, I, I was shocked to learn that, uh, especially in in uh, states, I would imagine Arizona. I know for sure it's in Florida. Uh, a lot of the states that develop later, you know, weren't like the original 13 colonies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you know that that the counties were organized based on how far you needed to, or how far you could travel on a horse in a day? <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember hearing something about that. But I, Draw yeah. the county lines and put the county seat in the middle of it so that anybody that lives in the county can get to the county seat within a day on a horse. Hmm. That's still hmm. the county line. Right. And that was, that's what determines what government you're living up. It, like, it's just like if you were, if you were to like take a blank page and you and I were going to figure out, okay, what's the way we're going to run our state? You would not do... 90% of what we're doing. You know what I, know. I mean? I know. <laughs> and I know. that's the point. I know. And I agree 100%. Like, there's way too much power concentrated in the federal government and the governments that exist. You know, that's another thing, too. Like, there's too many concurrent jurisdictions. I mean, yeah. are we talking about the city or the county or the state? Sometimes four different police departments show up to a crime. You yeah. know, so it's that's crazy, too. But but that's the thing for me is like most of the processes that, that governments employ are a hundred years old. I mean, the, the thing, <laughs> I love this, the, the concept of red tape, you know, bureaucracy, it yeah. comes from the veterans administration after the civil war, you were, you were uh, owed, I forget the amount, but like if you fought, you know, you were owed a hundred dollars, but you had to physically go to Washington DC <laughs> and show up and say, I want my hundred dollars. And yeah. they had the lists of all the people that had served and the records just in papers that were tied up in red tape. Hmm. <laughs> and so they'd, they'd spend hours and hours unwrapping red tape trying to find your freaking name to give you $100. You know what I mean? And it feels like we still do that. We still do that. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. So, yeah, it's crazy.
It is crazy. And it's, and it just wish, I wish there was, and, and, you know, the sad part about it, and this is what I mean about the systemic part about this is the system is rigged against that, right. Against the empowerment of these people just because they're, trying to get elected and trying they're not trying no nobody's going to run on a platform that depowers or, or 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 releases the power of the federal government back to the states you'll never get elected on that and so that's why this system that we have today is is wrong it's just it i, I just wish there was a way that you could that we could change that mindset but the problem is anybody who wants to anybody who thinks that you know the the federal government and, and it's the way that it is today ha- wants all that power to, to make the change they think is right. Mm-hmm. They're not going to release that power to the States. Yeah. That's the challenge, man. It's like to it's, fix it's, those it's, things yeah. are big changes. They are. And nobody's going to get behind them because there's too many people happy making money. You know what I mean? Right. Like right. to right. enact that sort of change, quite honestly, you need crisis. And maybe that's why we <laughs> tend to have so many crises, but yeah, it's uh, it's term limits. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know what I would love to see? Because I think part of the problem is unintended consequences, right? Like mm-hmm. we pass a law and we're trying, you know, maybe it is, maybe there's got some noble reasons why we're passing that law, but we didn't think about all the things that will happen after that law becomes law <laughs> and it causes more problems. Well, we never go back and fix it, right? Mm-hmm. Like right. there ought to be like a time limit or, um, uh, some sort of process where you have to reevaluate that law and say, yeah, it's working and it's doing what we intended. So let's keep it. And if you don't positively do that, then it stops. For instance, right. uh, the, the great example is uh, mohair, <laughs> which is sheep's hair. And it mm-hmm. was used in um, making uniforms for army personnel in World War II. There is still a subsidy on the books for mohair. <laughs> You know, 80, 70, 80 years later, uh, yeah. still paying people to create mohair to make uh, uniforms that we don't use mohair for anymore. <laughs> you know, so it's stuff like that. But it, it just never ends. And, you know, that's a silly little thing, but, you know, you pile it on to everything else and it's a huge mountain. And right. And, and, and you know what's going to, it will literally take, and, and the phrase is true, an act of Congress to change that. And it's like, <laughs> what do we do? What, you know, it's like, it, but, but if we were to be able to get it down, and this is just my fundamental belief about these, these individual locals, you, or localities or states, I believe that you can get these things done fundamentally much faster. Yeah. Because, this, the, because there's now state problems, right? And, and, and then there, we can talk about what it, what the federal oversight would look like, but yeah. Anyway, so that's my that's my libertarian spiel about this. So you I'm, know, what? I'm with you. You know, the the trap that uh, you're setting, which I walk into a lot though, is uh, you know, someone who disagrees with you would say that's what the Civil War was about, right? Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> because this the, I, and I, and I don't mean to equate the two things, but I mean the South's rationale for being racist slaveholders was its states' rights. The, you know, the federal government shouldn't have any part of this, um, and and that's why they seceded. Um, well, yeah, but I would argue we're you know the federal government still has oversight over equality and law. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? There's some basic fundamental rights of the constitution and things, right. That, that still need to get 
policed, right? And, and there are ways, I think, that you, you can't just have states, the states can act independently with dealing with local things, but there are governing, um, in, in my mind, there should be governing rules that say, as a, as a country, we believe in these things, right? And, and this is, that's the homogenous part about being an American, right? And being a part of this country is, you're, you're good to people, you, you, you look out for each other, you know, there's just basic goodness that I think the government can still uphold, right? I don't, slavery, I think, I think that's a far extreme example, but I can understand where they're coming from when they make, when they say that statement, but, but I don't think it's going to ever get back to that extreme that where one state believes in slavery, so therefore that state should be allowed to do what it's one. And that's not what we're talking about here. Yeah. You know, we're talking about, we're, I'm talking about a way to facilitate or empower us as a, as a nation individually, because we all know the electoral college is by far the worst thing that's ever happened, right? It doesn't give <laughs> us any power at all, right? It, it, it blends us together with those, with a, you know, to be, this is the first time, Jen was, Jen and I were just talking about this. This is the first time I've ever been in a swing state. Uh-huh. You and I grew up in Maryland. It's never, almost never been a swing state. Yeah. So it's like my vote never counted, yeah. right? It just didn't. And so it's like, and now I'm actually where I feel like it counts, but at the, at the, at the end of the day, I don't, you know, I don't know if it really does, right? Um, and, then, and then the fact that you had two, two elections where our entire country came down to two counties, right? I think it was, you know, when Bush was getting elected, it was Florida. And then I think the second one was like Ohio or something like that. Or wasn't it, was it Dade? I don't remember. Uh, yeah, Bush was like Miami-Dade and uh, Broward County and uh, Palm, which is where Trump lives, ironically. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah I know what you're talking about. But I, I don't know. I, I actually support, I, I like the concept of an electoral college for a couple reasons. The first is, and it goes back to your idea about states, right? So it's not a national election. It's 50 state elections. Right. to determine who the president is. We're all going to vote on who we like. And um, this is a system that makes sure that uh, a president can't get just elected by California or by New York, right? Mm-hmm. He, he or she has to appeal across the nation to many different states with many different problems, et cetera. Like, for instance, people talk all about um, uh, the popular vote. And Hillary won the popular vote. Yes, yeah, she did. But the margin that she won the popular vote is, uh, can be completely erased by taking out California. Mm-hmm. In other words, she won the popular vote by 2 million votes, and, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but she won California by 3 or 4 million. Right. So right. the only place she won the popular if you take out California, she lost the popular vote. You know, and that's my point. Like, if, if, you turn, if you get rid of the Electoral College and just have it be a straight vote, you only have to... Um, pander to or, 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 uh, you know, uh, get people to support you in a few major cities and you'll win, Mm -hmm. you know, and what happens to the rest of us? Yeah. You you know that, you know, I was reading about it. I didn't know that it's, there's an electorate, right. That, that represents the vote and that person can, at least what I remember, maybe I'm wrong about this, but maybe, you know, but, they actually don't have to vote with what the, the they actually have the right to change the, if, if, if the state votes yeah. for Trump, 
they actually can vote for somebody else. So originally that's how it worked. So when, uh, when it was first um, conceived and, and used, you weren't voting for president at all. You were right. voting for a person to represent you right. at the electoral college where that per, the, they and the other whatever, 500 and some odd or whatever it was then, right? Because it changes. As it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Age, but they would vote who the president was. And, and they may not even know who, who you could potentially vote for until you get there, you know? So that was the system. Yeah. Um, I think what's happened over time is, you know, people want it to be more like a democracy. And so states themselves have passed laws that say, um, you know, this elector has to say they're for Trump. And if you vote for Trump, then they have to vote for Trump. And I think it varies by state now. I'm not 100% mm -hmm. on that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there are states where you have to vote for whatever the people decide. And I think there are other states where you don't. I'm not sure. It, it, and that's to me is like, I don't know. It's just, there's so much, <laughs> it, it, it's mind blowing. Yeah. I to mean, point. Yeah. for me, like the founding father, like the same thing changed with Senate. So originally senators were appointed by the state legislature. You didn't vote on it at all. Your state legislatures determined who the Senate was. And so it's kind of weird, Luke, because some of these things that we're talking about were used to be more local and have been made national. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it, um, but yeah, so that used to, and then there was a constitutional amendment that changed that, that made it a direct vote. I think the founding fathers were very concerned about the implications of a direct democracy. And so they put checks and balances like the electoral college, like that thing where you don't determine who the Senate senators are, your legislature does to sort of put a check and balance on the emotional reaction of the people. Like for mm -hmm. instance, you know, look, you can, you can take both sides of black lives matter. I think they absolutely matter. And there's a problem with some racist cops, but the protests that have been going on that have turned violent are very awful. And I don't, and, and in the immediacy of what's happened sort of anecdotally, you know, watching videos of people getting killed by cops, people believe, you know, we've got this defund the police movement, right? That's crazy talk. And if we had a direct vote in some cities right now, we might vote to defund the police and just get rid of the police department. And then what happens? So I think the, the founding fathers were trying to put some controls on something like that to make sure we take a breath. Mm -hmm. Have some people in charge that can sort of block that for a while, right? Yeah. Make sure we're making the right decision before we do that. And if they, but if they're too intransigent, if they're too much stopping the people from getting what they want, eventually they're going to get voted out, you know? So, and then the people will get what they want. So, you know, I, I actually am a fan of some of that. Maybe more than see, you are, but I, I um, can see, yeah, I can definitely see the, I can understand the where they're going with it. I think I think we what the the note we've been talking about is maybe tweaking it, right? Um, and and what that looks like, I, you know, is beyond us, uh, beyond this conversation anyway. Maybe we can talk about it in the future. But I think I think there's, I think there, the notion is right about the checks and balances that you were talking about and the representation. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's still it, we have a long way to go. And, and to your point a lot of what we've built today are principally good, but it needs to change with the times, you, yeah. you know? Yeah. It, I mean, it, I don't disagree with you. I just always go back to 
man, there's a lot I want to fix, but yeah. we do live in the greatest country in the world, and there can be a lot of un, well, the greatest system in the world. Let's go with that. We we have our problems, right? Yeah. And uh, when you when you change something like that, there's potential for a lot of unintended consequences that could very quickly turn bad for everybody. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, we've been talking about it all all, <laughs> all this cast about these yeah. unintended consequences, right? Of of all these actions. So I, I I agree. And in the end of the day, by the way, I agree with you. The, 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 I get so sick of hearing people talk about how other countries are better than this one. And I'm like, <laughs> you, you really either have not traveled well yeah, enough yeah. or, or when you've traveled, you haven't lived there. <laughs> and, and that's two very distinct different things. And if you live in specific countries or get sick in other countries or pay taxes in those countries or earn a living, then it's very different. Mm-hmm. You know, and you'll get to see the other side of this. And there are countries that are far more corrupt than we are. Oh, yeah. And there are countries that have far worse taxes than we do. Their, you know, their, their, their medical systems are are just are are horrific. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's like you're right. I, I am appreciative of where we're at today. You know, it's it's as much as much as we like to complain because we always do because we all judge each other, right? <laughs> we, you know, nothing is ever good enough, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, we have it pretty damn good. Yeah. You know? Well, we've brought it full circle, and uh, we're we're uh, we're getting late in the day. So, what I'd like to do is, um, and I don't know if you if you happen to listen to uh, the podcast where I had my son, but I plan on doing this with every guest. And it's a uh, it's an exercise where I ask you ten questions. And these questions originally came from a French TV show called, and I'm going to use my high school French accent, Bouillon de Couture, hosted by Bernard Pivot. Uh, they're better known as the questions that James Lipton makes every guest answer at the end of inside the actor's studio. Okay. So I'm going to ask them to you in a row. You can say whatever you like, but uh, the first one is what is your favorite word? Delicious. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Ain't. <laughs> that stuff ain't delicious what on what turns you on creatively spiritually or emotionally do i is it an answer for all three of those or any one of them yep uh music music that's a good answer what turns you off uh negativity hmm you know, like the, yeah, you know, yeah, I keep going, keep going. Yeah, no, you're good. What is your favorite curse word? Um, I don't, I, you know, it probably comes from Breaking Bad, but every time that the guy said bitch, just <laughs> makes me laugh. So it's, you know, it's become like one of my favorites, even though I probably don't use it very often, but it just becomes, yeah. just, I love that word I don't, because of the way he said it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can hear it and picture it very well. <laughs> yeah. 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 What sound or noise do you love? Let's say that one more time. Sorry. What sound or new noise do you love? Laughter. That's mm-hmm. what sound or noise do you hate? Oh, uh... Probably honking horns. <laughs> That's a good one. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? 
not to not to sound competing here, but radio host, I think would be good. <laughs> yeah, you know, Coming soon to Apple Podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think awesome. the, I think I, I think this is fun. I, I love this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, so I, w- I would say that. I'm having fun too. We'll have you back for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. What profession would you not like to do? President of the United States. Yeah, for that's sure. Just, that's just you know, it's funny. Uh, that's the thing that doesn't get a lot of uh I don't know if coverage, but talk about, and I, I love the Joe Rogan podcast is one of the reasons I wanted to do this. And he talks a lot about that job is so hard. Nobody can do it. And he's even got a bit in one of his comedy specials where he's like, that's why we vacillate back and forth. We go left, we go right, we go smart, we go dumb back and forth. So it's like no, you know, Clinton. Bush. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Bush, no, Obama, 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 Trump. Yeah. You know, right. <laughs> Because none of those jokers, nobody can do that job. So we just keep going for the opposite. Yeah. And that's what, in a weird way, every 16 years, we bounce out right down that middle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, every eight years, I should say, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay. This is the last one. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You can relax now. <laughs> Lay down your troubles, right? Lay down, lay down. Lay down. Welcome to a good night's rest. <laughs> you know, you know. Well, well, this has been a lot of fun, Luke. I really appreciate you doing it. And uh, I just can't thank you enough, man. Hey, hey man, well. this, is, this has been a blast. I appreciate you having me on. Really Absolutely. And like I said, we'll do it again for sure. Thanks, man. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye. Well, thank you so much. This has been The Country Podcast. You can find us on the internet at thecountry.news or on Twitter at thecountryusa. Peace out. Let's get to the country and stand there till it's done.